This is Tate Fletcher, and you're listening to the FSF Podcast. The show where Star Wars, Star Trek, and Stargate all live under one roof, just different sized rooms. But Doctor Who wants to know, are their rooms bigger on the inside? Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 1138. He'll know that when he puts on the red shirt and joins the crew of the Enterprise in their struggle against, against Moff Gideon, that he didn't leave his family destitute and without hope because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has his back and what's left of his best car. All right, guys, our guest today is an actor who you've seen uh, in movies such as Jumanji. There's Free Guy, John Wick, Equalizer, Jonah Hex. I could keep going, but I'm going to run out of fingers very shortly here. Um, but he might have also, I don't know, maybe you saw him on these couple of, I don't, they weren't very well-known TV shows. Not hardly anybody ever really liked them, but there was the Book of Boba Fett and The Mandalorian. Maybe you've seen it. I saw it for sure. If so, you know him as Paz Vizsla. We are so proud and excited to welcome a fellow Michigander, Tate Fletcher, to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Tate. Thanks so much. All right. So, Tate, we've had the privilege, and I do mean privilege because I'm a huge Star Wars fan. So every time I get to talk to somebody, even, you know, it doesn't matter what aspect they've done in the Star Wars universe. It's very, very exciting to me because this is my childhood on film. This is, you know, this is... The thing, this is like the the shining gold thing that hangs up in my life. And I'm like, oh, anyway. Um, You're not going to say it, are you? No, because you'll make fun of me. Anyway. I will. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars is like his marriage. Oh. I've, okay. Well, now I have to Beautiful say Beautiful and spiritual. Yes, yes, that, that's like that, like, honey, if you're listening, it's because you're beautiful. And so is Star Wars. Anyway, um, no, I always always said that Star Wars is like my marriage, because uh, it's been there for me in sickness and health, good times and bad. I love that. You know, so it's it's always there. And every time I say it, somebody makes fun of me for it. So I don't say it anymore. Anyway, not every time it was just the last like 30 times you said it that I started making fun of you. Every time. Anyway, uh, but we've we've uh, we've been so happy to have on like Emily Swallow and Chris Bartlett and Carrie Jones and Misty Rosas. And we ha- we've had so much fun with them uh, on this show. But I asked them all this question and I want to get your take on it as well. Um, now, to be fair, I asked this of every person that has anything to do with Star Wars uh, at all, whether they're a Star Wars podcaster, they've been in some form of uh, voice acting, whatever it may be. Yep. If you have something to do with Star Wars, I want to know. What was your entry point into the Star Wars universe as a fan? And what does it mean to you now to be part of that universe? Uh, my entry point, I was a little kid outside a brick uh, theater. I remember the red brick because there was a line outside and we just stood outside there waiting to get in um, in Petoskey, Michigan. And, uh, and that was when I first saw Star Wars and was introduced to it. And, um. Yeah, and that that stuck with me. And then as you know, as I aged and the subsequent um, shows came out, uh, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, I uh, was just taken with the mythology of it all. You know, mm-hmm. I was a young young boy, and like this idea about like Yoda's principles, like these principles to life, these functional principles of good and bad, and and uh and why things mattered and, and what values were like it was the first time i was really able to see that on, on a screen somewhere and and i still think to date it's the you know it's the highest form of a functional mythology that we have in the world and i think that people can't put a finger on all the things they love about star wars but if you're in my generation that 
those first three mark deals, there wasn't nothing else after that that was like like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That was it. And then for me, Ma- Mandalorian brought that back and and wove those together. And I, and I thought they did a great job with Andor too. I think, I mean, that was super fun for me in the way they wove that in. And it fits. None of it's corny. None of it looks weird. None of it is like, I even look at the mechanics of, uh, you know, all of the models and everything that they made, how to go into hyperspace. None of all that stuff stands up today still. George Lucas did such a great job and the artists on that did such a great job. And and that's what really strikes out to me is the art of this also is, is incredible. And not just in the show that we see. But the artists that are everywhere that are listening to this right now that are all over the internet. It was one of the most special things about when Mando dropped that they were so precious about nobody knowing anything about what the show was that they didn't market it. The the corporatocracy of greed and and gouging hadn't come in. And so there was no little Grogu doll. Mm -hmm. And so what I got to see being a part of that show was all of the uh, manifestations of fans making a denim one, crocheting one, a paper mache one. And you got to see, I mean, it was incredible. I was like, oh my God. I mean, I was struck by that and and still am. And that, that was a beautiful part of it. Yeah. No, that's and awesome. still today, as I see it come on, I mean, there's a guy that made me a Paz Vizsla helmet that, that, uh, recently and and just all, all the different things. You know, one of my friends, Artisher, is uh, uh, in in the 501st, you know, and he's he's also an actor in Boba Fett and, and Mando. and, and uh, yeah, it's a fantastic thing to be a part of. And and to have it be woven into my childhood, I guess, back to your question, is like, it's unreal in a way. I mean, I think until it's in the rearview mirror a little bit, it won't land on me really what it is. But I just sure. knew going into it that it was so special that I wanted to be able to carry it well. You know, it's just like every job I've ever had. I want to be able to, I want whoever hired me to be glad that I was the guy for the job. And And in this case, I felt like, knowing how powerful star Wars was for me, I needed to do a good job for everybody that was out there. Right. And I needed to carry that. Well, uh, especially in that second character I played, um, in, in pause. I, I hope, I opened the whole show as alpha trawler in the very first mm-hmm. uh, episode of the first season. And so that, you know, that, that was awesome in itself, but, uh, you know, but was quick, you know, in and out. And then as, right. as this thing developed, uh, for heavy, it was mm-hmm. uh, an incredible thing to carry. Yeah, I, I think that's really cool that that you look at it in, in such a light, because I think that, you know, for some people, you know, it, it's just a job and it's just, you know, it's just something to do, you know, until they get their next paycheck and things like that. But I think you can always tell and even on screen, I think you can tell when somebody is heavily invested in what they're doing, when when there's when there's a love for what they do. And, and you know, and the, with everything that I've seen in The Mandalorian um, whether somebody liked the story or not, whatever, I don't really care about that. But there's even, you know, there, there's so much love poured into this show and from the actors and the writers and the directors and, you know, and Dave and John and how they're, they're running the show and how they're directing everything. And for me, as a Star Wars fan, that's just awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's awesome. So thank you for putting your heart and soul into it. Oh, that yeah. means a lot to us fans. I'd like to make that even broader than that. It's, the electricians it's the grips it's the camera oh for sure everybody in there is invested like the way we are everybody Mm -hmm. in there wants the shots to be good everybody in there is an audience member that like you know after some scenes they're just like (laughs) and that's the crew breaks out when they yell cut i mean the the connection and the familial aspect of that and what um you know what john really brings 
Uh, I first saw that in Avengers. He was, you know, I, I never met John when he was running Avengers, but the the idea was that like everybody here is cool because of, I mean, sometimes there's screamers that are like in different heads of positions and that's just how they deal with their crew. And it's not so much anymore, but not on one of John's shows, they just say, thank you very much. And uh, we'll call you if we need you. And, and he just would keep the, uh, the level of politeness, if you will, like, like we're here for this event, uh, being cross about something doesn't help us get over the finish line. So we're all going to be as amenable and as gracious as we can be to one another. And, and that just really, um, grew, I think into, into this Mandalorian universe that he built. Yeah, that's cool. And Filoni is cool as rain. You know what I mean? I mean, Dave is just this laid back, like hard ass hockey playing dog loving like he brought wolfie his dog on set all the time which is a real gift just for me as a dog guy it was was awesome but those two together make such a tremendous team um and then all the people they brought in deborah chow and bryce dallas howard and uh, rick Mm -hmm. i mean rick is just phenomenal Uh, like everybody in there that touched that uh you know star wars is so pervasive over the generations that yeah it's like everybody is affected that's cool. Yeah, I get yeah. excited when I see uh, Rick and Bryce's names come up in the upcoming information on yeah. IMDb. If I look it up and I see that they're the ones directing it, and mm-hmm. not that the other directors do bad, don't take it that way. But I, I just, I love the way that they, the, the finishing touches they put on their mm-hmm. episodes, and I just, I get really excited knowing that I'm, I'm going to sit down and I'm, you know, Wednesday morning's going to be awesome because you know one of those two is is directing that episode, so. Also, you mentioned tiny, you mentioned crochet Grogu and <laughs> I'm like, I know I have one. It's awesome. It's He's amazing. so cute. Yeah. I mean, I have my, my actual Disney product Grogu's as well, but I found him at like a craft sale. There was a lady that had crocheted Grogu so and there's cool. a, I've got a crocheted Chewy around here somewhere too. I love, that's my favorite character by far in the Star Wars. Chewie's universe. the best. Nice. Chewie is the absolute best. So before we talk to somebody on the show, I like to look up their upcoming roles on IMDb. And we know that IMDb is not always 100% accurate. Right. But they do I mean, the best they can. nothing on the internet really is as accurate as you want it to be. I've got a couple of different birthdays on the internet. I mean, yeah. There's... Yeah, yeah, it happens. Well, I mean, if you get extra cake, I guess that's okay, right? Ah. <laughs> but you have two films in your upcoming section on IMDb. Dead Man's Hand, which it says is in post-production. Yeah. And Fight Pride, which is in pre-production. Right. So without giving anything away or too much away and without crossing NDAs, what can you tell us about those upcoming films? Well, Fight Pride has been um, in pre-production for years. They've just been trying to get funding. Mm-hmm. And I believe I just heard something um, from one of the producers that was on Dead Man's Hand, actually. And she called and said, hey, w- what about this thing that you're involved in? And said, so I'm just waiting for it to go. I don't I don't I don't have it. I got a script in 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, that a friend of a friend gave me and asked if I'd like to play and said, sure, that looks great. And, uh, and so I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with that dead, dead man's hand. We filmed is, is in the can. Uh, yeah. Uh, Cole Hauser and, uh, William, uh, uh, McNamara and there's a, uh, Oh, and Forey Smith, a friend of mine also from Yellowstone and local New Mexico guy. Um, really cool cool guys and anyway we had some really cool shots old western in there and uh, a lot of gunfights and action and all that kind of thing yeah so that's going on and then i've got another thing coming up called uh fruit of the forbidden tree which is more Mm -hmm. like a early 2000s um type of show about a a ring of uh car thieves 
and Ooh. dirty cops that all kind of based on a true story and a bunch of people went to jail. A guy almost got killed and framed as a dirty cop that was blowing the whistle and all, all that kind of stuff. And so, yeah, those things are coming up also. Ooh. That sounds cool. You're definitely yeah. going to be keeping an eye out for those. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, what was that? What was the name of the last one again? Uh, Fruit of the Forbidden Tree. Fruit of the Forbidden Tree. I don't okay. know if that'll be what it is, but that's our working title anyway. Working title at least. Okay. No, that sounds exciting. That one sounds like a really cool story. I mean, yeah, the other I, ones do too. Don't get me wrong, but the, I always like the ones that are. Just, I I like a lot of the movies that are more true to life, and there's some cool stories right. that can be told and things along those lines. So I like it because you can read about like what happened to the guys afterwards. Sure. This guy went on to do this. This guy's doing 25 years. This guy, you know, it's like when I did Waco. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. You know, it's cool to have like, here's how this wraps up downstream. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Very cool. So. I also noticed, Tate, that uh, you were a former MMA fighter, really? uh, actually competing on Ken Shamrock's team for the season of the UFC show, season three of that show. Yep. Um, and I, I bring this up because I asked another former MMA fighter that we had on the show. Who was that? Uh, uh, his name is Bo Robertson. Okay. And uh, so we were talking to Bo. He's uh, he's uh, an actor and director as well. And and. Uh, so I asked, I, I told him this quote. I said, there's a saying out there that everyone thinks they're they're tough until they get punched in the face. Right. Um, so clearly. Mike Tyson. Yeah. Everybody's got yeah. a plan until they get punched in the mouth. There it is. Yeah, that's the yeah. that's the quote. Um, I knew I was close. I was yeah. trying to do it from the top of my head, didn't look it up. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a, good enough. We we understand. <laughs> All right. So clearly, uh, you got punched in the mouth regularly. All the time. Yeah, how do you prepare yourself for that mentally, knowing that you're going that's what you're going in for? And how do you think that helps you prepare for your career as an actor? Um I say that my career as a fighter, like uh jujitsu, um, Muay Thai, uh Krabi Cabron, like stick fights. I was fought with a group called the Dog Brothers before I did any MMA, um, which is a full contact stick fighting organization whose motto was higher consciousness through harder contact. And uh what I find in that kind of thing is like when, and there's things I didn't know about like what a flow state was. And if you read like a book called like uh, the rise of Superman or something like that, there's a lot of science behind what a flow state is with your neurochemicals and all that. What happens when you're already really good at something, you're at the top of your game and you're operating above the level of your skill and there's high consequence to pay if you fail and time dilates and you get uh, problem solving in a different way than regular people will ever experience. And I never knew what that was. People call it adrenaline junkie and all that kind of stuff, but adrenaline doesn't feel good. Like that's not a really a thing. It's mm-hmm. the subsequent neurochemicals that happen after that, that put you into this kind of state of freedom. And so that's kind of what I was looking for with fighting. And also the, the other thing was, I was like, you know, who are you under these conditions? Uh, in America, we all live kind of a soft life. And if you're in more austere conditions and, um, there's consequence there that was high, meaning there's people in the audience that are dying for you to lose. There's people that need you to win. There's your mom, there's that. And you're in your underwear and you're about to combat somebody in the most primal way possible and maybe get dominated or not. Who are you now? Are you able to bring all your party favors to the party? Are you able to execute this thing or, or do you crush? Like what self is it you're defending? Um, so all that stuff about getting hit in the face or if you get cut or something becomes uh, palaver. It's just part of a, that's not important. That's not, 
Um, you know, when I would have a black eye and I'd walk around town or what, I was also bouncing at a nightclub during that time in the early days. And then I did bodyguard work. And so, you know, I'd have a black eye or something. I thought people, you're in that life. It seems like the only normal life. So people were like, oh my God, you got a black eye. What happened? As if you're in a car accident or something. I'm like, right. you know what my life is? Like I got, yeah, I got in 30 fights this morning with my friends. Right. <laughs> and, and I used to say, you really got to love somebody to punch him in the face. Because there is that kind of camaraderie and, and uh, fellowship that happens with your training partners that doesn't really happen almost anywhere else. I mean, I think it happens in the military in some places, but to be in combat with somebody else at your side and to show up for that person and, and prepare them for that same kind of thing, to understand the the, the ardors of uh, weight cutting, of of, of what diet is like, what cutting those last pounds is like, what the training is like of going to the gym when your toes are broken, when your ribs hurt, when you have the flu, regardless, you're showing up. The discipline and consistency of that, it leads to everything in my life, right? When I can look at like, how do how can I execute these things regardless of how I feel about it? Mm. How do you get your feelings aside and you can get specificity of your training to be exacted mm. upon your goal? And those kinds of things come up everywhere in your life. And I found that most people aren't, endeavoring to do those things anywhere and I really needed to just for my own self-development and uh, so that's what I ran after and what I found later you know was that it transfers perfectly into film work or into whatever else because a lot of it is not quitting and you know everybody says oh it's a million to one odds to be an actor or something like that I get a lot of these questions you know yeah it's a million to one because all but like one percent of that million quit people are soft as butter and everybody stops. There's no resilience. People are built to call the police if you're in trouble. Call a teacher. Do something else. Like, how can you feed yourself? How can you really take care of yourself in this world? And that's what those things ask you to do. And so under that condition, who are you? And I, I wanted to be impervious of needing somebody else's help in order for me to survive. And I wanted to be able to take care of myself. And it just turned out that then I became the person that could take care of myself the best in the room. And then I'm not resentful or hurtful that somebody else didn't or this or that. I'm my mm -hmm. responsibility. So it brought a level of responsibility and accountability to my life that I don't think would have been there before. Okay. I know that's a long answer for that, but no, we like <laughs> long answers. Long answers are good answers. We're good there. That actually is. makes a lot of sense though. And I was I was wondering too, with with the fighting history and the stuntman history, you've had at least one, probably multiple traumatic brain injuries. Oh, as my a result whole life of is those. concussive. Yeah, I've had does... a concussive existence, and then I had a horrific one in 2019, uh, which almost killed me several times. And How I does that felt... impact your daily life and, and your acting career as well? In every way. Uh, I mean, it's like in every way, you know, um, but but there's recovery from those things. It's like what I'm glad to be here to report. Uh, a lot of my friends have killed themselves. You know, if you're in, in, in sports like that, I remember I used, you know, I, I used to bodyguard Joe Rogan. And so we'd go to a lot of fights and then I was fighting at that time too. And we were at the side of uh, one of the tough show and this kid got knocked out and he was out for like six or seven minutes, which is an uncomfortable thing to sit and behold. Yeah. To watch yeah. somebody bleeding out their ears and their mouth and they're just not conscious is awful. And, uh, and then we're going home and, and Joe says, you know, those things don't show up till 10 or 15 years after the injury, right? The infraction happens and it grows mm -hmm. and it deteriorates the mind in such a way that you become a different you. 
-hmm. And then eventually with enough damage, you become a you, you don't recognize anymore that you don't respect. that doesn't have consistency or discipline or any of that. Um, your behavior becomes repugnant to the old you and you don't, you're a stranger in your own skin and you have to go. And, mm -hmm. and that's what happens with our soldiers. That's what happens with everybody. We use people in combat sports in football, in soccer, in the war. And everybody talks about how much this matters to them. But as soon as they're out of the spotlight, nobody cares. The VA doesn't have any answers. They give them drugs and get people strung out. And so I've just Family. been with a bunch of guys that are looking for different solutions to that. And we're finding them, but you can't find them. The FDA doesn't approve them. They're all bought by Pfizer and Moderna and all these companies that if they can't sell you a pill, they're not interested in curing you. They would rather keep you strung out on narcotics. Yeah. But that's There's probably outside the scope of this podcast. No, no, that's fine. That's it a, makes... it's honestly a, a, a very factual and truthful answer. You know, having uh, a few members of my family who have ser served in police force or military uh, who have had and suffered TBIs and, and, and other concussive issues, um, you know, you're absolutely spot on. Yeah. If it's if they're, yeah. if it's not a pill that they can just give you, to, you know, and then walk away from, they're not really interested. And that's the in, other in reason that I'm glad it. that I was a fighter in the way that I was, because uh, it it. I knew that I needed to pirate my own life back. I knew when I was a kid and they gave me pills for my brain and they said, you have an imbalance. There's no test for that. Now they pretend to do a saliva thing and say, you have a serotonin imbalance. They don't have tests for that. They're giving kids pills and seeing what sticks. And mm -hmm. then they, what they do know is if you're on those pills, SSRIs even, which are the, the least repugnant mm -hmm. of all the ones they give you, that you that like 70% of the people never get off those. And that's what pharmaceutical companies are looking for. And so how do you steal your life back when your attention is taken? We're the only country in the world that does advertisements for pharmaceuticals, right? Yeah. It's illegal everywhere else. I mean, that should give us a thing, uh, an idea that our whole government has been bought by these companies. We pretend to vote for people and, and they just have a check for everybody, whoever oh, they want yeah. to buy to sell their. And so that's what we're up against. And knowing that as a little kid, I knew that from forever. Right. I knew that when Ronald Reagan was pretending that we're going to shoot lasers off mirrors on satellites and we'll call it the Star Wars program. And they stole hundreds of millions of dollars from the American people. I mean, that's ridiculous. In 1980, they're going to shoot lasers for the rusted missiles that are coming out of the silos of that. No, no <laughs> missiles are coming from Russia, guys. And that was the whole fear based thing then. And now it's, it's always been the sky is falling. So how do you take your attention back? How do you own your life? That's been. Yeah you know, a big part of my life, I guess. Yeah. And, and the thing with recovery from brain injury is like, you know, if somebody is acting differently than they've ever been, if that is somebody in your family, that there's help out there. There's, there's things that you can do on a daily basis and they all cost money and none of your insurance companies will, will help you with it. But, um, you know, hyperbaric chambers are highly important that you can do when you sleep and how you sleep is important. It's important to know that if you drink on a brain injury, that you're giving yourself another brain injury. Right. Mm -hmm. It's important to know that like there's not one living cell that stays alive with the exposure to alcohol. Uh, and and I, I'm not saying I don't get it. If you got to drink yourself to sleep every night, I understand life's like that. But like you ought to understand what what's happening to you. And if right. something like that's happening to you, you're just putting a Band-Aid over a bullet hole and, and maybe you ought to look deeper. And so there's there's things out there. There's a program called Vets, uh, Veterans Exploring Treatment Solutions that's doing a lot of stuff. There's a braintreatmentcenter.com. They're doing MERT, which is shooting magnets in your head to realign your brain waves. There's getting blue light in the mornings is, is very important. Mm -hmm. um, exercise, ice baths. Uh, ice baths have been crucial for me just because to take inflammation out of the body has been huge. Mm -hmm. um, 
yeah, all that kind of stuff. And I would encourage anybody that's an athlete, a hockey player, soccer, whatever, to do minimum those things. Because it's not it's not if you get a brain injury. You're, you already have brain injuries if you're in those sports. And right. you're only going to get more, right? Yeah. I've agreed. seen guys in the stunt business where I grab in a fight and I shake them, just shake them by their shirt, and they drop in my hands because their brains are so damaged. They go out like that. Yep. That's everywhere, right? Oh, so we yeah. all need to learn how to take care of ourselves better. And so I implore the NFL, WWE, UFC, everybody to get on board and start looking at like, we're taking money from these young men's lives. Um, how about we help them afterwards? Because the end result of this is a suicide. A hundred percent. That is unfortunately the harsh reality yeah. and it doesn't need to be at all. Right. At, at all. Like well, they're... And we're just finding it out. It's guys like me that are going, I, I don't want to die. What can I do? And get lucky enough to be around some people, you know, that are working with stem cells that are working with hyperbarics that are, but these things are not commonly known. And I'm only now just after, I was hurt in June today, <laughs> June 15th of 2019. I was knocked unconscious for five minutes on a set and, um, and the subsequent, uh, decline, of um, the, uh, uh, what do they call it? Post-concussive syndrome mm -hmm. uh, was mm -hmm. devastating. And I've only just now in the last few months felt recovered from that really. And so it's okay. a, it's a, it's a dragging thing that stays with you. And, and, and I say I'm recovered, but like, I'll never spar again. Like, I'm not, I don't know if I'll snowboard again. I, I don't know that I could put myself in a position, like I'm supposed to outlive my mama, right? Right, and right. I, I couldn't put my family through what it is. I mean, right. the torture of pushing people away uh, has been excruciating for them. And I, I owe so much. I, I just, I need to take care of myself for the rest of my life. So all the things, all the aforementioned things that I've done, I'll continue to do for the rest of my life. Yeah. 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 Very good. Well, happy anniversary of not dying. Thanks. Beating death once again. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Well, in the list of amazing things that you've accomplished with your life, I, I mean, cheating death is definitely one of them. <laughs> you also have something that Tim and I both hold very, very dear to our hearts. Neither one of us is a morning person. Mm. We both need a boost to get started in the morning. I have a four and a half year old daughter. So anytime <sighs> that I need coffee, coffee is my friend. Yeah. So yeah. you have caveman coffee. Yep. So I have a two-part question with that. Where okay. did the name come from? And what sets Caveman Coffee apart from the other brands available on the market? The name came, well, myself and uh, my brother, Keith Jardine, if you Google him, you'll get an idea. Of, uh, the two of us are kind of um, the faces of that. And, and Lacey Mackey. And uh, Lacey's uh, a beautiful blonde-haired girl, which is different than us. But um, <laughs> we were the three that started it. And we just love coffee. We're all into sports and athletics. Uh, she was a junior Olympian and then she went on to become a, a trainer for Tom Cruise and uh, all Bryce and Benedict Cumberbatch and Pete and Yango and the list goes on and mm -hmm. on. And, um, and then Keith and I went and segued into film after our fight cruise and Keith is now a prolific writer and all that, but we just wanted like a high level, the same kind of thing. You know, we saw a lot of stuff that was garbage in the market and we wanted high quality product that came from single origin sources it wasn't just your basic Arabica bean that was just uh, all burned to the same degree of uh, taste so that you could have uniformity regardless of where you sold it. Mm -hmm. And um, So we were one of the first to market. I think Stumptown also was around the same time with a cold brew nitro. And so we had a single origin cold brew nitro that we put on market. And that's really what made us different. The quality of our beans made us different. And uh, yeah, we've just been doing that for like 10 years as a 
side job. And, you know, that's kind of the thing about like, when I say everybody quits, yeah, you got to quit if you throw all your eggs in one basket. So I've always been like, I'm podcasting. I've got a coffee thing. I got uh, this job. I've got that job. I'm always hustling to, you Mm -hmm. know, get paid six different ways because you never know what's going to fall apart. And, and that's, and that's been a struggle with our coffee for the last, you know, during COVID you couldn't get cardboard. So we couldn't ship money. So you have to carry that. And then our lender goes out of business and then it's all on my credit cards. And then uh, Coca-Cola buys every can for a retort can that you can get. And so you can't get, so I can't can a profit. So it's like all this stuff about entrepreneurship that I didn't really know that, um, you know, my, my hubris just allowed me to throw my hat in the ring and go, well, try this. How hard can it be? And, and so that's kind of what got me in the coffee business, that and the love of coffee. Nice. Mm. Yeah. I do yeah. Coffee. I noticed also you have a Mando blend. Yeah. Mando blend. We're coming up with a heavy blend. Uh, so there's some things happening there. Yeah. I'm, ex- I'm excited to try some of that. I yeah. uh, didn't realize it till we were, we were sitting down this week doing our research for your, you know, this, you know, having you come on today. Uh, and they were like, did you know anything about coffee? He's got coffee. We, we need to talk to him about coffee because, co- you know, I drink coffee. almost a pot. I drink almost a pot of coffee a day as it is. So, yeah. If I'm I ahead. could figure out how to just IV inject coffee, <laughs> I would. Life would be so much sweeter. But, <laughs> yeah. I need like um, a coffee pump. Right. Yeah. You know, yeah I've done maybe. animals, the whole thing. I'll, I'll take coffee any kind of way I can get it. There you go. Oh, I'm going to get one of those, one of those uh, camel packs, you know, just big, right. you know, cold brew. <laughs> You know, it'll be it'll be fine. It'll be twitchy, but I'll be fine. <laughs> so, right, I was gonna say, as long as like the, the the coffee anxiety combo is okay, I'm good. Yeah. It's it's the days where the coffee decides to work against me mm. instead of for me that I'm like, really. I always feel like if I'm not hydrated, that happens quicker. Yeah, I am chronically yeah. terrible at hydrating, and there there it's... have been days where it's the I finish my coffee and I'm like. I don't feel more awake, but my heart is racing. Oh my goodness. This is not cool. I may drink a pot of coffee, but I also drink about four or five of these a day. Yeah. I'm always, you know, of water. So I am, uh, it's empty right now, but I haven't, I didn't refill it before, before we sat down because I was drinking coffee for this interview. I'm always deep in the water, but I just came from a coffee shop also. So, oh, see, there you go. That's all right. right? That's right. I did. I I did. That's why I have water in one hand, coffee in the other. Yeah. I did one of my favorite things earlier is I drank a cold brew coffee and then before the coffee hit, I took a nap. Oh, all right. And so then you wake up from the nap caffeinated. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> nice. <laughs> all right, Tate. Um, so yeah, looking over your IMDB history, you've had opportunity to play in sandboxes uh, with Marvel, Star Wars. You've been in Jumanji. There's several other franchises that we've mentioned uh, along the way. But is there a, a franchise or a role that you just feel that, you know, we, we mentioned one pre-show uh, that you were, that you feel that you were just born to be that part or a character yeah, that you're God just dying to play? I think that playing, playing that would be dope. Kratos? Um, yeah. And I think that also, uh, yeah, ever since I saw Bad Batch, I wanted to play Wrecker. Mm. And I think that would be a really cool role also. Wrecker is pretty great. What is it specifically and then about something those like two a characters? science teacher somewhere would be fun. Something you know, a little off, would be nice. Okay, down with that. What uh, what was it about Kratos and, and Record though that that those characters specifically draw you? I just think, I mean, what it's it's just 
you know, I get to play dress up professionally, right? It's like, it's just fun. You get to go and, and, and play your video game. You know, it's like, true. You know, doing, doing any of that stuff is a hoot. And, uh, those are great characters, good, powerful mm-hmm. characters. It's like, it's like playing pops is like, it's a perfect character for me. Yeah. No, yeah. I, I love the answer because Wrecker is actually my favorite out of the bad batch. And so, yeah. and I could see you playing him very easily. And I think it'd be a mm-hmm. natural crossover, but I was just curious if there was something in particular, but I'd, I'd love his personality. And I think it's something you could pull off. So. Yeah. I like that too. So. So Tim and I are moderators of a Facebook group that has just over 212,000 members currently. Good Lord. Oh yeah. It's nuts. How it many is... times do you have to kick somebody out of there? Oh, uh, so a couple much. times a day. At least. <laughs> At least a couple times a day. Welcome to the block party. Pretty much. Man, yeah. get the band hammer out frequently. But a recurring theme in the group is mashing up characters from different universes, crossing mm. them over into different memes. So if you could take two of the characters that you've played and have them meet, either as allies or opponents, who would you pick and what do you think the result would be? You know, I I, I think that two of the great group good characters to come together would be a character I played in, in, in John wick. And then a character I played in equalizer, uh, mm-hmm. would both be fun. Um, but really to, yeah, I saw a mashup with samurais and, and, uh, and all the Mandalorians and that looks super cool. Really, really cool. Really cool. Yeah. yeah. I saw one the other day that was Batman and the Mandalorian combined yep. called Batman Mandalorian. I was like, yep. cool. That was yeah. All that ever since that AI started, it's like everything is popping up like that. Yeah. And now I'm like, I won't even click the link. I'm like, listen, I can't support AI even to look at it. I'm done. <laughs> no, I get it. Yeah, because it's 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 inevitable. You know, listen, I was on Jurassic World, they did a body scan of me, and then they must master be owned with Rockstar Games or something, because then I'm in Grand Theft Auto. But they don't say that or mm. anything. And then I'm in, and and it's one also, it's like, I know that, that, I mean, it's clear. It's like a picture off my Instagram is the character. And then also that (laughs) it's all like guys that are listening to Joe Rogan all the time because the comedy store is on there. His DMT trip is on Mm -hmm. there and all that. I'm like, this is crazy. They can just take, they can't do that to just anybody. It's just because I'm not well known. It's like, if I'm Brad Pitt, they can't do that. And then they did the same thing in Red Dead Redemption, whatever the latest one of that was. And they completely jacked my, uh, my likeness off of a, a movie called John Claude Van Johnson. And it's the same suspenders, the same pants, shirt, the same loping punch. Like the whole thing is. Oh man. And fans send me that. And I'm like, Oh, they're like, congratulations on this job. I'm like, I wish like, I didn't get paid for that. Yeah. I think I know but not even the tip of the hat, not even like, Hey, this is, you know, none of that. It's just that. right now. This is even based. Yeah. This is based off Tate. This is yeah. yeah. So that's but where think, AI is going, right? They already take, they already own your likeness. You're going to start to have to trademark your voice, your everything, yeah. or else anybody in culture can take it. That's how the laws are now. It's insane. Yeah. And if you don't, if you're just coming up and you don't have money to protect yourself with a lawyer or with trademarks, then what? You're a slave now. You're just you. I mean, it's it's insane where we're going. Yeah. No, I I agree with you, 100. percent Yeah, it's um, it's kind of interesting. Some of the things that we see coming up in AI are, are interesting, but. I also look at it and go, okay, but yeah, you're, you're bouncing that off of somebody else's work. Who's not mm. going to get credit for that now. Totally. I um, mean, I heard a Jay-Z song that Jay-Z had nothing to do with, but it's Jay-Z, right? It's like, that's insane that you yeah. were able to do that. I mean, then I just saw another thing with it. 
that with no sperm, no egg, they can make an embryo that's a viable fetus. Like we're going into crazy land. That's wow. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. I hadn't seen that one yet, but that scares the crap out yeah, of me. Yeah, Rogan posted something like that this morning, and then I saw it on all the news channels. I was like, oh my God. Well, that doesn't scare That's me crazy. at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, remember when we were kids and they were like, yeah, there's going to be test tube babies. And right. then I oh, yeah. really thought about it again, but it's like, there's for sure test tube babies that we know of that are like, and now it's just the next evolution of that. And that, an evolution you can't stop. It's just what it is, you know? And in the words of Jeff Globloom, uh, life uh, finds a way. So, <laughs> and I had to all do right. all the I had to do the the making my kid the normal way and growing her <laughs> myself and I mean, why take work. the fun out of it? <laughs> Bingo! Yeah. So, like we mentioned in the introduction of you, you are in fact uh, like us here from the great mitten state of Michigan, the only state in the union where you get to uh, use your hand as a map. And then slap people with it. I, Unless you I, live in the UK, and then you're yeah. out of luck. You're really I mean, you, can, you can kind of do the the Kiwana, Kiwana, the, it's, the, it's yeah. hard. But yeah, I live here. So anyway, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> how do you feel that being born and raised in, in Michigan affected your acting career curly, uh, uh, early on? Because now, and I phrase it that way because like we had Rob Paulson on who's from the Detroit area. And he talked about how, you know, being from Michigan and, and living in a blue, a blue collar type environment, you know, some of the, the things that were forced upon him to learn, you know, with, you know, his work ethic and things like that. Did you, did you have a similar type of experience? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was born and grew up in Alpena where um, it's all like, you know, we, we didn't have school one year because they didn't want to vote 10 cents more on the millage. It's like a very, the economy was just so depressed at that time. They're like, we're not, if you can't, if busing can't come in, nobody can go to school. So I went to Catholic school that year um, when I was in the fifth grade. But, you know, in that kind of a setting, it's like every, everybody's scared that they're going to get laid off from the factory or, or whatever mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff is going on. And and so you get a real concern and an empathy with in a different way, I think, maybe than I would have in a more opulent place. Uh, the, but and that's so that's part of it that colors me to some degree but then the other part is 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 the sustainability of it you know like when i talk about my fight career and, and being accountable and independent to myself it's like th those are michigan roots and values that i have that that's from being in the woods and hunting and fishing and, and seeing how to be a, a actual natural conservatory kind of person like uh what is it to take care of of the of the woods so that you can have the woods next year also what yeah. is it to be a good steward of the earth? And those are all things that I grew up with and that were very important. And that, you know, if you transgress that, you could get a smack. Uh, you know, it's like to, to, to learn about the cycles of life, to learn what it is to take a life and and, um, and to honor that, right? When, when, yeah. when you first drop a deer or whatever it is like that, to, to learn how it is to set a trap so that you can uh, get animals to learn what it'd be like if you were in the woods, you know, Okay, well, what well, you could get a porcupine if you didn't have anything but a stick, you know, and you could eat you wouldn't starve to death. It's like learning how to really sustain yourself was a huge part of that. And then learning like with that, I think comes like a, a God field that surrounds nature in a way that's not in other places where we cover with cement. And when you're around rivers and, and woods and lakes like that, um, you know, in the northern lights to be out on the on the mm -hmm. lake with the northern lights popping, to see that, I mean 
to be in awe and reverence of this world that we get to play in is uh, a huge part of that. And so even when I was in LA all the time and, and living there, I remember Rogan would be like, man, why do you always go back to New Mexico? Cause I came out here originally to go to uh, a school called St. John's college. And, mm-hmm. and then I moved back and forth, you know, uh, as soon as I, um, maybe I, well, I was on a show called the longest yard, uh, Adam Sandler deal. And, yeah. and they moved out to LA and that's when I moved out to LA and I met Joe and Eddie Bravo and, and my fight career kind of started um, there also. Like, it would just continued there, and I found a school, and those guys were in the school, and that's how I knew them. But Joe was like, why do you always go back to New Mexico all the time whenever you can? And I was like, and he found out later. I mean, he lived in Boulder for a while, and then he moved to Austin. But it's like, you can breathe different in these mountains. Mm-hmm. There's an opening to yourself. There's this constriction of, like, even if you're not in scarcity or trying to do another thing – there's an aura around Hollywood of desperation that is palpable. And to mm-hmm. be around something like that is a different thing than to be, breathe into what life is, you know? And so these mountains mean a lot to me in that way. And, and I think that that comes from, you know, being born in Michigan and, and growing up there and going, what, what's important? What are the important parts of life, you know? Um, yeah, that's awesome. And, and to learn also like what death is like, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we're insulated from that a lot, but, you know, I mean, when you when you're watching the Future Farmers of America and, and you know nine year old girls bringing up a, a a lamb that she's raised since it was little, and and gonna sell it, and knows that it goes to slaughter, and she's wiping the tears from her eye. But this is her. This is what life is. This mm-hmm. is how right. it goes. Is like, you know, how do you reconcile that instead of pretending that that's not real? How, you right. know, how you know you can reconcile what the the standards of biology are and and know that and go forward with that. Like, whereas a a lot of people I see that aren't born into that are born into chaos in a different way, because there's not a standard. If you don't have understandings of life and death in real functional ways, well, well, that's a terror that you live in then. There's a fear in that that doesn't need to be there, I don't think. And I think all of that stuff is like, makes me more stable as a person when I go to a place like Los Angeles or something like that. And go, oh, here's, I'm at this party but one of these is not like the others, right? I'm not right. playing by those rules. The, the, right. These things that are important to you, I, I think you're shooting at the wrong baskets. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm, that's not the game I'm playing. And um, it was important just for perspective, I guess. I do feel like um, Midwesterners, Midwesterners, but Michiganders specifically are rooted a little bit differently. We, we connect more to our surroundings and our nature. And I feel like that, that sticks with us. I, it's like, Tim said when we talked to Rob Paulson, he's still that very down to earth Michigander dude. Yeah. And like my daughter interrupted our interview and he just like zoned in on this, what was she, three year old at that point? Awesome. Right about there. Yeah. Yeah. Just about three. And like instantly connected with her and then starts doing character voices that he knew that she would know. And I'm like, you're not going to get that from every person. You're not going to get that from somebody who was born and raised in LA. Yeah. But you'll get that from. You'll get that from a Michigander. I think about it as like presence, right? Is being mm-hmm. where you are when you're there. You know, being with the people you're with when you're there. Mm-hmm. As, you know what I mean? It's like it's a mutual respect almost or something like that. Yeah. No, agreed. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's something there's something about the northern part of lower Michigan that it's just, it's calmer. It's quieter. It's, I love it. It's special for sure. It Absolutely. Is. Oh, yeah. It is. I mean, I live, I live in the flattest part of the state where things are cut in one square miles 
but they're all cornfields. Yeah. But it is quiet unless it's a holiday weekend. Yeah. And then mm-hmm. it's just that, that drive people coming through. From Detroit. I mean, it, it's like a, an unwinding and a letting go, like that you come into this womb of the world in a different way when you're up there. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. Yeah. That is, yeah, that especially is the right best when you way. Get, when you get and you're on 75 going north and you get just past Saginaw and everything kind of opens up and yep. yeah, it's yep. a really cool yeah, it drive. Is, it is funny that you get like, you get past the Z bridge, you get past the walkie and then you go from Zawaki to Saginaw to Bay city. And then from Bay city, it's like nothing mm-hmm. until you get to like West branch and yep. it's the, and then from West branch, it's like Gaylord. And it's like, I love that. I love yeah, that. You have, I mean, it's represented in the hunting, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, if you're south of Saginaw, you can't hunt with a rifle because it's too populated. So they'll right. hunt with slugs and shotguns, right? But right. but up north of there, it's like yeah, 308s or whatever. It's it's fine because we got space and there there yeah. is that. And it's yeah, absolutely yeah, it's I like mean, nowhere else. Technically, I live in the city, and the right. train tracks run right through here. I mean, it's right by the the grain elevator. But we've seen bears, we've yeah. seen coyotes, we've had foxes in our backyard it's like yep. it's it's that perfect mix of just busy enough but without being overly busy yeah i love it i love it there's nothing like michigan so with over 20 years of on-screen experience you have definitely seen and done a lot in the film industry so what advice would you give to someone who wanted to get started in the industry whether as an actor or a stunt person wherever they wanted to be I would say whatever you want to do. If I want to be a doctor and you want to be a lawyer and we're best friends and we've been best friends all and then we decide I'm going to be a doctor. I want to be a lawyer. We can still be best friends, but if we hang out, we're going to find out what we find out and we'll get where we get. Mm -hmm. If we go off and we surround ourselves with doctors, we're going to get there expediently with a lot more information and with other, you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. I always say, put yourself in the place where the thing is happening. And it can be happening right where you are with your cell phone. I mean, uh, Quentin Tarantino often says that now with the technology in a cell phone, I could have filmed Reservoir Dogs for forty thousand dollars. Right? It's like it, we right. can do we can do these things. Technology is there. What's also there is the echoes of our of our forefathers that are saying, "Do something that it, you know you can get paid at that you need a consistent check for." That so you know. And that's, that's a voice out there, but it doesn't have to be your voice. That's a fear of voice that people want to love you and want you to take care of yourself. And it doesn't seem like that's a reasonable thing. I remember the first time that I did a movie called Lockdown and I just kind of, I was, you know, I was running a nightclub and, and Master P and his guys came in from Louisiana um, and they were doing, you know, they, he's a huge rap mogul, uh, does No Limit Records. And then he was mm-hmm. doing No Limit Films and they come in, they said, we need some big white boys for this prison film we're doing. And I got picked for one of the roles and that was where I got a SAG card. And so I started there. And after that film ended, the stunt coordinator, a guy named Keith Willard says, uh, dude, you should come out and I got an extra place at my spot. I got a, a guest house. There's a lot of work out there. You should come out and, and, uh, and work in the industry, man. You're great. I go, bro, there's a kid from Michigan. I only have to work this one job right now at this nightclub. And then I can train in the daytime for this other thing. I really like doing this wrestling and fighting thing but thanks a lot for the pipe dream. And I just shined it on and I never looked at it because it didn't seem realistic to me because where I grew up, there wasn't anybody that was a novelist or an actor. Or, you right. know, there was a girl that went to the Olympics as a speed skater 
Um, uh, but like that, that was, it, there wasn't a lot, I wasn't seeing examples of that. And I was scared of like upsetting what I had going on. Cause I'd known that there's ways that all that can slip away. Mm-hmm. Um, so what I would give for advice is like, whatever it is you pay attention to will grow. And so if it's, if it's that thing that you're in love with, that's the thing you'll pay attention to. And then you become great at that thing. And then other people like that thing. And once you're a subject matter expert in the field, people are going to want you for that thing. And if you don't quit, eventually you'll be the one left in the room that can do that thing. <laughs> and so I think follow what it is that you love. Um, but the question I always ask guys is like when they're coming to the fight gym, I was in the fight game when it was like love of the sport. You know, we're mm-hmm. that we're all there. Me, Diego Sanchez, mm-hmm. Keith Jardine, Carlos Connor. We're there for the love of the sport. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of guys then that would come in right after that. And they'd go, man, I want to be under the lights. Like the way George St. Pierre is. I, I like that. I like all the, the fame and that. And, and I've never seen anybody like that really succeed. I, I know no. we thought about them in a certain way that wasn't flattering because mm-hmm. we're like, you're here for all the wrong reasons. You're shooting at the wrong baskets. And the reason they don't last is because it's not the thing that they love. They love right. the result of the thing. You got to love the action of what it is to do the thing. And so when I got, you know, a chance to go and transition as a fighter into being an actor, I, you know, I, cause I would ask guys as fighters, do you want to be a, a fighter or do you want to be called a fighter? Right. Is, is it an ego thing or is it an expression of yourself? What are you after? And so I'd ask myself the same thing as an actor. Do you just want to be called an actor because it's what you think the job is? Or do you like to perform and, and build a role? And do you like to write? And do you like to see how that would get shot? And do you like the craft of it? And so if you're in love with the craft of the thing, God damn, do that thing. Don't sell yourself short. Because if you if you do know that you love the craft of a thing and you don't do that thing because you're like, ah, I'm scared. I, I've got to, you know, I need, a, I need to have that steady check that is going to build to something where I got a 401k at the end of it or whatever. You might do all that stuff, but in 20 years, you might've bought yourself a life that you're not very into. And so that's the downside of it. And I never have advice. I just have my experience, you know? Um, and, but that's what I, that's what I seem to believe about my experience. Follow what you love doing and don't quit. Yeah. But I think your actions is what speaks. And so, uh, you mm-hmm. know, actions speak louder than words. So if you're able to take your actions and go, okay, so here's my actions and how I, you know, how I backed up my, my actions, I backed up my words with these actions and this is what I'm doing and why I think that actually weighs a lot more than just somebody going, well, do this, do this, don't do this, don't do that. Because now they can say, well, you know, I was talking with Tate and he told me about what he had done. And now I, I look back and yep, he said he did do this thing or he did do this thing and look how it worked out for him. And because, you know, to and me, that, that weighs a lot individual, more. Right. It'll be right. different than, yeah, than, absolutely. And, and, yeah, I, I believe that, like you're saying, I believe the footsteps, right? I don't believe all the palaver. I believe the footsteps. Like, yeah. we can talk about we care about something, but, you know, it's like caring for a plant. Can I see that with the health of your plant, that you wipe the leaves and you water and all that? Because a lot of people say they care about me and disregard me in other ways. Mm-hmm. Well, I just watch your footsteps, man, and I trust you to be what you're showing me that you are. And it's the Love same it. with myself, right? And also, how dare I, you know give somebody advice that might hurt them. I mean, like in recovery from my brain injury, there's stuff that I did, I'm going to die. And so I'm doing whatever, but I don't know that all that is safe for everybody. And so if somebody's just kind of feeling bad and I go, Hey, here's what you ought to do. I got to wear that, whatever their result is. And I'm not willing to do that. I'm, what I'm willing to do is say, here's what I did from where I was at. And right. everybody's right. got to make their own choice. Right. 
Right. And that's awesome because that's a difference of perspective. It's here. What here's what I did because this is where I was at. Not yeah. here's what I did and you should do it too. There's yeah. a, that's a tremendous difference between those two statements. Yeah. Everybody has to wear their own decisions. We all got to yeah, be absolutely. responsible to our own decisions. Very cool. Yeah. All right, Tate, last and final question we have for you. We call it our silly question. So, uh, Tate, if money didn't matter, what would you be doing for work? Right. I'd be doing this. Ah, that's a perfect answer. I, I mean, I that's the thing, this. right? It's like, I always say to guys, well, if money didn't matter, what would you do? If it was all reduced, well, then what would you do? You should do that thing. That's the thing you love. Right. I'm doing it right now. That's right. And there's a the guys that I know that want to start podcasts and all that. And I go, you know, as soon as we get enough listeners and this and that, I go, Man, that's all backwards, bro. I said, you got to love the conversation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm here and I think that it shows because I love being in conversation with people. And, yeah. and that's the thing. It's not whatever the result is of who it reaches. I mean, I never ask any like, hey, what's the reach of your podcast before I get on it? I'm not, right. I, that's not what's important to me. Uh, you know, are you fun to talk to and impassioned about what you do? That's way more important because if I'm going to spend an hour or two hours of my life with you, I need it to be that with those types mm -hmm. of folks. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I've, we have yet, I don't think we've, we're not making any money off this show, but we, you know what, and that, that's fine. I don't do it for the money. I do this because I like having guys on like you and sitting down and talking and having, I love stories and finding out what's made, what makes people tick. And that's why I ask you questions about, you know, when you were growing up and the things that, you know, how did you get involved in this and why does this matter to you and all these different things? Because I want to know the different angles and facets of your life and what makes you tick and why. And, and so, yeah, so for me, and, that is very cool. And yeah. we don't just ask stock questions. We don't just do this for, for the views, for the listens. It's the, no, Hey, this is a cool person that's involved in a thing that we like. Yeah. Let's get to talk to them about that cool thing that we like. Yeah. Way more important. So, I love being here. You guys set a real nice place. Thank you for having thank me. You. Thank oh, you. Thank you, man. Thank you. So on that note, Tate, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Where can our viewers and our listeners go to find out more about your work and what you've got coming? Um, really, I just only interact on uh, Instagram too much. And then I think that stuff uh, sloughs over to Facebook also. Um, there's only so much I could pay attention to. So <laughs> I do that. I've just started to be a little more active on Twitter. But like all that stuff got, I, I just kind of backed off of it when I hurt myself also. Um Coming up, I'm going to something called Ocon up in uh, Iowa uh, on the second to last weekend of July. Then I'll be at Terrificon up at Mohegan Sun in Connecticut. After that, going to Manchester, England in December. Um, so I'll be at cons in the area, maybe uh, Florida, I think, maybe in September, um, and also maybe Australia in September. Oh, wow. Awesome. Cool. Which would be dope. Yeah, I'm looking to do two weekends in Australia in September also. Man. Oh, man, that'd be awesome. Well, we so we'll see, but this yeah. thing has opened up some crazy opportunities for that. And, and those things are so fun to go to. I'd never really been to any of them before I got exposed to Star Wars. And I was like, oh, my Lord. Yeah, I mean, talk about time. the talent that walks through there and and just the conversations you get to have there. It's just it's beautiful. I'm, I'm going yeah. to one this weekend. Well, th this won't be out by that time, but I'll be at one in Albuquerque mm -hmm. this weekend. And um, yeah, it's been it's been what a ride. What a ride. That's so Very cool. grateful to be here. There is something there's something super special about the energy at cons like that. There is just this nothing like it. It's a family. And then yeah. all these people, whenever I hear something nasty online, like, oh, somebody said this about so and so, because you know, whatever. Um 
those aren't real fans. Those are just those internet people that are looking for attention. Yep. But you go to those cons, the allowance and the love and the support of every single person is insane. It mm-hmm. is what a place to be in. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. it's uh. I remember the first time I went to a con, it was just, you know, and you get in there and that the vibe of that room, it kind of put a chill down my spine with all, I was like, I have found my people. Here they oh, are. I know. <laughs> right? it's great. See, and it's, it's great. funny is I felt like that the first time I went to a Renaissance festival with the, huh. I'm home. I have found my weirdos. I love yeah. this. And then I went to my first, right? Then I went to my first con and I'm like, this is, this is the same feeling. I love that. There's those, the first guys I got introduced to were the guys that started the 501st and, Mm -hmm. um, and the good work that people do that are doing that. I mean, the kind of, I mean, the voices against cancer that, that, that Emily is aligned with and that we're helping to promote, um, that these guys, they dress up and they go into their, into these cancer wards and they give kids their dying wishes and, and, and kids get well around it. And I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. It gives me goosebumps, man. It's amazing. The goodness that is around all of this. And, and in a world like we're in, what a special thing to be involved in. I'm just, I feel privileged beyond belief. That's why we, so in the beginning, when we, we did the, the red shirt widows and orphans thing, uh, that actually does support a a real charity called wish upon a teen, which, um, is a Michigan based charity. It's a Michigan based charity. And I bring them up because my daughter in 2019 was in the hospital for 97 days. Uh, uh, 33 of those days were in the ICU. We almost lost her twice. But during that time, Wish Upon a Teen came in. They they did everything, uh, you know, and, and like redecorated her room, you know, did all these different things to try and make her feel more comfortable for having been in the hospital for so very long. And um, one of the things that also happens is that they help coordinate with some other things. And we got to have the 501st come to her room. And, you know, so, and so here we are, I'm, you know, supposed to be the adult and in walks this dude in a full on screen, legit Darth Vader costume with the air Raider breathing at everything just, and I'm like, (laughs) Darth Vader, hi. Yeah. So... (laughs) I still have issues with them letting Darth Vader into children's hospitals, but <laughs> that's a different story. In the ICU in the children's hospital. <laughs> I always trip out that there's fans of the dark side. I'm like, how yeah. are there fans of the Empire? But, you know, it's a different world. <laughs> so, but yeah. Rebels anyway. forever, though. Right? There you go. I actually have the my welcome sign on my... Um, on my gate at my house has welcome written in Oribish and it has the rebel symbol on it. Nice. Yeah. Yep. I did it one day while my husband is at work and he came home and he's like, did you write an Oribesh? Like, yes, I did. I love you. I show sure did. So cool. <laughs> my friend is a, he's a retired cop and he uh, does steel work now. And he says, I got to make you a gate. You know, you don't have a latch for your gate. And I go, okay, cool. And so he says, and then the next day my gates are gone. And I, I go, okay. And then he brings them back like three weeks later and they've got, like vines and leaves all welded into the gate. Mm-hmm. And then he's got a big um, mythosaur skull that's on oh. it. And then he has a Beskar spear that you squeeze this, that the whole length of it that you squeeze it. And that's what opens the latch. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Amazing. Amazing. That's that freaking cool. So cool. Yeah. Oh my word. Nice. Huh. All right. I'm well, jealous. Exactly. <laughs> All right, guys, we want to remind you right now that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests 
like Tate Fletcher here to come on and have these conversations, share some funny conversation and some moments for you guys to be able to enjoy. So please subscribe. It uh, it helps us well more than we can ever really tell you. And go out and make sure that you check out Tate's work as well. If you Google is free, check out his name, go to his IMDb page. You, like us, will be stunned with as much as this dude has done. There's a lot of cool stuff out there for you to enjoy uh, under the name of Tate Fletcher. However, if you are unhappy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department. That, of course, is Paz Vizla. Paz, as you may remember, Paz takes a hard-line approach in what's right and what's wrong. And if your complaint form makes it to him outlining what we have done wrong, you can be sure that we will pay for our offenses and that we will be dealt with quite quickly. So be kind when you consider reporting us. We aren't apostates to the Mandalorian Creed. We're just podcasters that didn't know any better. I don't want to be on the other side of that blaster cannon. <laughs> <laughs> Again, thank you, Tate. This has been awesome. Bless you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. All right, guys, that's going to wrap us up for the FSF podcast. Goodbye. Copyright 2023 FSF Podcast. Reference to any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Podcast. The views expressed by the guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpodcast.com. Original music by Jordan Michaels.